Something's funny about FINRA arbitration pools. How does SCOTUS feel about staying proceedings and arbitrations? Kuwait's ICSID troubles, banking disputes with the Swiss, leadership changes at the AIAC, and finally, the National Law Institute of Bhopal hosts its annual moot. We'll get into each of those stories on this week's episode of Disputes Digest. I'm your host, Chris Campbell. Thank you for joining in and let's jump right into it. But before we do that, don't forget to leave us a review, follow us on LinkedIn, and if you really want to make my week, send this show to a friend or colleague you think might enjoy the show. Okay, let's get into our first story of the day. All right, let's talk this week with some really interesting news. And if you've been following Global Commercial News, this is timely news about a little organization called the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, or FINRA, which has imposed a new set of rule changes aimed at increasing transparency and consistency in the arbitrator selection process for dispute resolution. So what's the story here? Well, it all began after a Georgia state court vacated a FINRA arbitration award claiming the arbitrator pool was manipulated. Although the Georgia Court of Appeals later overturned that ruling, FINRA is still deciding to tighten up its processes. The proposed changes include codifying both the algorithm and manual review process for identifying conflicts of interest, requiring the FINRA director to issue a written explanation when granting or denying a party's request to remove an arbitrator, and clarifying when a challenge to an arbitrator can be submitted. Additionally, some technical changes have been proposed for pre-hearing conferences, hearing sessions, motion practice, and more. While these changes won't significantly impact how FINRA reviews and identifies conflicts of interest, they aim to reduce ambiguity and ease the burden of parties requesting information. Plus, more specific rules about challenging an arbitrator will help parties react to conflicts of interest discovered later on. The Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, has until April 12, 2023 to act on these proposed rules. So we'll keep an eye out for any updates, but with that said, let's move on to our next story. And for that next story, we stay in the United States and head on over to the U.S. Supreme Court, where it heard oral arguments in Coinbase v. Bilinski. One of the primary issues in that case is a procedural one, and the key question is an important one, especially for defendants seeking to enforce arbitration agreements. The question is, does an appeal from an order denying a motion to compel arbitration automatically stay further proceedings in the district court during the appeal? Now, you might think this is a straightforward issue, but over the past 25 years, the courts have been divided on whether stays pending appeal are automatic. The Supreme Court has now taken up this case to resolve the long-standing split. This week's arguments had the justices grilling both sides with tough questions, making it difficult to predict the case's outcome. Some justices were critical of Coinbase's position, questioning why Section 16 of the Federal Arbitration Act should be read to authorize an automatic stay. Coinbase's counsel argued that the default rule is that when there is an interlocutory appeal, the district court loses jurisdiction to conduct proceedings that intrude on the issues before the appellate court, unless Congress expressly provides otherwise. Other justices appeared more supportive of Coinbase's position, with Justice Kavanaugh calling Coinbase's argument, quote, strong, and expressing concern about the coercive settlement pressures imposed on defendants in the absence of an automatic stay. 
Justices Gorsuch and Alito questioned whether the ordinary four-factor test for discretionary stays pending appeal is adequate to protect a defendant's rights. It's worth noting that several justices found Coinbase's analogy to interlocutory appeals involving qualified immunity, state sovereign immunity, and double jeopardy persuasive. In these contexts, appellants receive an automatic stay pending appeal without congressional approval. In short, the court is divided on the issue, and it's too soon to say how the case will turn out. We expect a decision by June, and as always, we'll keep you updated on the outcome. So sit tight, my friends, and we'll see how this legal roller coaster unfolds. Then from there, let's talk some ISDS news, and let me tell you about the wild and wacky world of an ICSID story involving Kuwait. In this case, it's Razani Ecker and its partners that are trying to revive a now defunct ICSID claim against Kuwait over a billion dollar road project, and while defending a seizure order related to a 60 million euro arbitration against Russia's Gazprom. Talk about a double whammy. ICSID has registered a request by Italian contractors Rosani and Trevi, along with Spain's Abrason Horat Lain, to partially annul an award in Kuwait's favor. The contractors are claiming that the tribunal manifestly exceeded its powers and failed to state reasons in the award. It's a bit like your high school teacher not explaining to you why you got a C on an essay you spent all night writing. They argued that the arbitrators produced an unclear and contradictory award. Now that's a real head scratcher. This is an epic legal battle rooted in a joint venture, Jamal Abdul Nasser Street. The project includes an elevated highway connecting Kuwait University and the Ministry of Defense. The joint venture partners filed for arbitration back in 2017, citing Kuwait's failure to honor its commitments, enforce undue penalty, and adequately deal with their claims in Kuwaiti courts. Now let's pivot to gas proms drama. Razani de Ecker had an order for the precautionary seizure of a 24 million euro worth Gazprom assets upheld by an Italian court. The contractor is pursuing 60 million in arbitration over the construction of the Gazprom regional headquarters in Minsk. Apparently, Gazprom accused Razani of delays and defaults and terminated the contract. So Razani obtained a preliminary seizure order of 24 million euros representing the amount of bank guarantees they provided for the project. Gazprom then tried to challenge the preliminary seizure, but the court said, nope, not today, and upheld the order. And there you have it, folks, a tale of two arbitrations, one against Kuwait and one against Gazprom, proving that life is nothing if not a roller coaster of legal battles in the world of international construction. And then for our fourth story, all right, let me tell you something. Switzerland might be known for its cheese, chocolates, and Swiss Army knives, but right now there is buzz in Switzerland about a potential treaty claim arising out of Credit Suisse's claim that was covered last week on the show. So the story goes like this. Credit Suisse had to pay the U.S. Department of Justice a whopping $475 million as part of a deferred prosecution agreement in October of 2021. Why? Well, it's because they've been involved in a case of alleged manipulation of foreign exchange, FX, and precious metal markets. It's like they were trying to be masters of the universe or something, but they ended up getting caught. Now, the interesting part is that Credit Suisse might have been doing all of this while being monitored by the Swiss Financial Market Supervisory Authority, or FINMA. Not FINRA, as we talked about earlier in the show. I mean, talk about having someone over your watch over your shoulder and still doing whatever you want. 
So the big question is whether the Swiss government will face investor claims over their supervision of Credit Suisse. Switzerland has entered into various treaties that protect foreign investors, such as the Energy Charter Treaty, ECT, and several bilateral investment treaties, or BITS. These treaties allow investors to sue the host state for dangers if they believe that the state has breached its obligations, like, you know, not supervising the financial institutions properly. While it's not clear whether any investors have filed claims against Switzerland, they might have a case if they can prove that the country failed to meet its supervisory obligations. And let's be honest, it's not every day that you hear about a country being taken to court over its supervision over a major bank. It's like a financial soap opera with more twists than a Swiss mountain road. So my friends, keep an eye on this story because it could be a game changer for Switzerland and the world of international arbitration. Who knows what other surprises are waiting for us in the land of cheese and chocolates. Then for our fifth story of the day, it's actually an announcement. The Asian International Arbitration Center, AIAC, has welcomed a new director and her name is Delcy Lagones de Again. She's stepping in to replace Doctuk Professor Sundra Raju, who left back in 2018. Now, Delcy isn't just some random person they picked up off the street. She has an impressive background, having previously worked with the ICC and the World Intellectual Property Organization, or WIPO. So what does that mean for the AIAC? Well, it's a big deal because Delcy brings a wealth of experience to the role and her appointment could signal a new era of growth and development for the center. The AIAC is a major player in the world of international arbitration, and it's been focusing on expanding its presence in the Asia-Pacific region. With Delcy at the helm, we can expect the AIAC to continue pushing forward, building on its reputation as a go-to institution for resolving disputes, especially in areas like construction, infrastructure, and intellectual property. So congratulations to Delcy on her new role, and here's to the future success of the AIAC. And there you have it, news out of the AIAC. Then for our final story of the day, it's time to give a massive shout out to one of India's leading legal institutions, the National Law Institute University, NLIU, in Bhopal. Established in 1997, the NLIU has made its mark as a powerhouse in the legal world both in India and internationally. And they've got a vision, they've got a mission, and they've got a dynamic alumni network spread across the globe. Now let's talk about the moot that it's hosting, because NLIU has a story tradition of participating in mooting. The Moot Court Association, established in 2002, is the oldest group of its kind at the Institute, and they've been prolific with events like the NLIU Justice R.K. Tonka Memorial International Moot Court Competition, the NSOL India NLIU National Corporate Law Moot Court Competition, and the NLIU Link Legal National Client Counseling Competition. And speaking of the Tanaka Moot, it is a flagship event of NLIU, attracting national and international law universities to attend and turning it into a fierce battle of knowledge and mooting skills. This year, the event is supported by the Singapore International Arbitration Center, Allen Gledhill LLP, and Allen and Overy. This event is a must attend for every law enthusiast or student in the area. But wait, there's more. The event is graced by some of the brightest legal minds in the region including judges from the Supreme Court of India, High Court, senior counsels, practitioners, and arbitrators. So buckle up and get ready for an unforgettable, enlightening, and thrilling experience at the NLIU Justice R.K. Tonka Memorial International Arbitration Moot. Let the mooting games begin. 
The event is from April 14th to April 16th, and we'll include a link to register in the show notes. So that's it for the news this week. Despite our announcements last week, we did not end up making it to Paris. But by the time you hear this, we will likely already be in Vienna for the 30th annual Viz Mood. We'll be doing some recordings for season five and of course, some impromptu interviews while we're there. So if you see me, stop me and say hello. That's it for us this week. Thanks for listening and we will see y'all next week. None of the views shared today or in any episode of Disputes Digest is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any organization or party for their inclusion on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. All interviewees or organizations included appear on an arm's length basis, and their appearance should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.